0: personal views and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are their own and are not legal advice or official statements by their organizations. Hello, my name is Debbie Reynolds, the Common the Data Diva. This is the Data Diva Talk Privacy Podcast, where we discuss data privacy issues with industry leaders around the world. With information that businesses need to know now. I have a special guest on the show from Toronto, Canada, Samira Starkman. She's the managing partner and co-founder of Inc. Consulting, a privacy data privacy consultancy um, up in Canada. So welcome.
1: Hi, Debbie. Nice to nice to be here. Thanks nice for having me.
0: Yeah, it's great. Uh, to have you here. Um, I thought it was pretty cool that we get together and chat. Uh, we comment a lot on each other's posts and stuff on LinkedIn. And we actually have a, a friend in common, uh, actually, a co worker of yours, uh, David Goodis. He was on the show. He was a, a former privacy commissioner up in Canada. So, um, but I really want to know sort of your journey uh, into privacy, sort of what got you interested and in what you're doing now in privacy with your company.
1: Sure. So I kind of fell into privacy by accident, which is you know what used to happen a lot. Um, you know, a decade ago, I was a I'm a lawyer by training. Um, I practice law, but I um, after I, I we have articling here. After I was called to the bar, I uh, went back to school and did a uh, degree in health law and policy. And I went into healthcare consulting, and from there, I um, I ended up running the privacy department for a cancer agency here in Ontario. And I didn't really know about privacy at the time, so I really had a steep learning curve, and um, and learned a lot very quickly. And I quickly found that this was an incredibly dynamic and interesting area of of. Not just law, but of of business, and that this was a really it was growing. And as we rely more and more on data, I can see the potential. So after a few years there, I started my own consultancy, and it, we started off in health privacy, but have since expanded. Um, in twenty twenty one. Uh, my consultancy joined with Inc. Law. And we are now, we, I now have both Inc. Law and Inc. Consulting as a combined um, kind of sister sister agency or companies, I should say. We've got the firm and the consulting uh, firm. And I have two partners that uh, that I work with who are also experts in their own right, uh, Carol Piovesi and Mary Jane Dykeman. and um, and there's just so much potential ahead, and we're really excited about uh, about being involved in this, um, in this really ever changing uh, field. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. What what's happening in privacy or in the world right
0: now that concerns you, um, of, you know, related to privacy?
1: So what I'm seeing a lot of lately and and we're hearing more and more about ransomware attacks. So even though it's a cybersecurity issue, it nevertheless impacts privacy and our, our um, preparedness around Incidents and breaches. So we often talk about, you know, individuals being our our weakest link, so to speak, within our organizations, whether it's uh, malicious or not, or, um, you know, clicking on a a phishing email, but there are also just bad actors out there right now, there's a whole industry developing around ransomware. And often, you know, mid to mid and small size businesses are just not able to be prepared either financially or, um, you know, from a knowledge perspective. So we're really trying to I'm really trying to help um, small and medium sized businesses in this area these days. Um, And and really, I think there's um, there's a huge need to Make sure that we are um, that that businesses at least know what to do in the event of of a ransomware attack. What do you what are you seeing? Are you seeing uh, is the same thing kind of happening in your in your work?
0: Um, yeah, I think ransomware is always going to be an issue um, because you know everything is so data driven now, right? So there's just much more. Data available, just data flowing around other places. People aren't really as educated as they should be. And then, as mm-hmm. we we're seeing, you know, even really big companies are having struggles trying to figure out how best to secure their data. I think I think it's just an ongoing issue. And then, sort of privacy is part of that because if like if the data gets breached, then you have to figure out whose data is breached. Um, you know, what laws apply, things like that. So that definitely comes up. Um, Give me your thoughts about what's going on in Canada in terms of regulation. So, um, you know, we in the U.S., we look, uh, you know, especially me, I speak for myself, jealously at what's happening uh, in in Canada, seeing that you guys are having a lot of movement there uh, related to privacy. So what's happening or what is happening or what it will happen in 2022? Uh, in Canada as a to really privacy regulation.
1: Yeah, it's interesting time. There is quite a lot of activity on the on the regulations and, and like Legislation side, so we haven't seen quite as much as in the past few years. Frankly, um, you know the the health privacy law in Ontario was created in two thousand and four, and really didn't see much action on it for for many many years. Um, and now we are in Quebec, um, and one of the provinces in Canada, Quebec is itself passing legislation now with some significant fines we are moving much more in the direction of uh of more of a gdpr type of of regime it is not quite uh, the same but there are certain aspects that are being um being taken from that legislation so you know we do see the right to be forgotten coming up um we see the um uh the need for a dpo or a data privacy officer as a requirement um the federal privacy commissioner so we have a private sector law that applies across the country and maybe i'll just kind of give a little bit of that foundation for some of your listeners who aren't as familiar with the canadian legal system so um the across canada we have a private sector privacy law that applies to any business um that is in the private sector that doesn't have a provincial law that has been deemed substantially similar. So in Ontario, for instance, where I live, we have a health privacy law that applies rather than that private sector uh, privacy law. And there's some of that in different provinces, but where there isn't another law, that is the one that would apply. All of them are very similar um, in terms of being uh, based on the 10 fair information privacy principles but every province has the right to create their own laws uh, as well around privacy and data. So we have uh, it's, it's all um, consistent, but the standards may vary. And so in the province in Quebec, that is where we're seeing quite a bit of action and legislation passing right now. Um, There's also a health bill that was also just, just brought up um, bill 19 Um, in Ontario. We've had some changes around the circle of care and who can um who can share information who can collect information we've had changes or at least a suggestion of our own private sector privacy law um in bc there are changes bc's british columbia we have changes around the freedom of information protection of privacy act so that is one that applies to the public sector in bc and they're they're was a requirement that data remain within uh, Canada that too is changing based on you know just our, our commercial reality that many of our um, many of our service providers are located in the states. So there's there's a lot of activity happening um, in in privacy across the country. and it is it's uh, it's an exciting time, but it is for us privacy professionals but also a very challenging one, I would say from businesses to keep up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you had mentioned something about, well, I I just want your opinion about this. So I think one thing that gets complicated in any type of kind of privacy program or regime or whatever is when you have someone requesting data or information on behalf of someone else. So like a parent, for example, you know, with a minor or maybe an adult. Child of a parent or something. Tell me about how you manage those types of situations because I think that's something the audience would be interested in.
1: Yeah, so it really depends on uh, the legislation that they're under. In um, if we're talking about healthcare, um, the, there are there isn't a specific age uh, in Ontario at which you are officially. Able to make your own decisions, so there is a dependency on um, the the child's capacity. Let's say, um, then there's there are substitute decision maker legislation. Um, so if somebody is a substitute decision maker for their child um, or for an incapacitated adult, then they have to show proof of that before they can access those records. But it can get quite complicated, right, as I'm sure, um, you know, there's always nuances. There are also, um, we also have in the public sector, the Freedom of Information Act um, across the country, every province has their own version and uh, who can access records is much broader, I would say. Um, So, you know, you aren't entitled necessarily to your, to access any and all information. There are exceptions and, and David Goodis is my go-to expert on that. Um, But, um, but I think, you know, it is a, it's always a complicated issue that does interact with, with other laws and, um, and there are considerations that need to be, need to be made. Tell me what is, you know, uh, the, the
0: cloud. So tell me about uh, the types of questions that you get that come up related to the cloud and how that gets complicated as it relates to privacy. I know a lot of that has to do with sort of where data is and things like that. What, what are your thoughts?
1: Cloud, um, we would often think of it as being some ambiguous, um, you know, floating blob, um, and, and people are a little afraid of it. And and uh, privacy professionals would always default to on-premises being the key area. I think we've evolved um, to a better understanding of the cloud and some of the benefits that there are in terms of having um, security protections um, that perhaps are are more affordable than having them on in your own premises and monitoring. Um, but also, when we think about um, data residency, as you mentioned, there was and continues to be concern. Um, amongst many Canadian institutions around storing data outside of our borders because then it, you know, we are not able to necessarily enforce um, Canadian laws or they may be subject to other laws. And some of this is um, perception more than it is um, Uh, reality. So we are able to um, enter into contracts with the vendors who store data outside of Canada, it is not permitted, it is not prohibited rather from uh, any of our legislation. Um, And now uh, in BC, there is there's a couple of provinces that that do require data residency in Canada, but for the most part, uh, that is not the case. And so as long as that data is protected to the same extent as it would be within our borders and subject to Canadian laws, then... Um, then a lot of the time that is that is fine but what we found, what we do see now is that the market has opened much more in Canada and some of the large providers have data centers here as well. So we have you know the AWS and Microsoft and um, Google have have opened up uh, data centers so that um, there isn't kind of a concern around data residency to the same extent that there used to be.
0: Yeah what? What is you know you're you're running your your own consultancy? Um, what 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 advice would you give to someone who decided okay I want to strike out on my own? Like probably what what is the thing that you learned that maybe if you could pass on some advice to someone who's thinking about taking that step? What would you think?
1: Okay. So it is uh, for me it has been uh, the best decision and I can't imagine um, anything else. But what I did think when I went out on my own was that this would be a lot less work um than working for someone else. And in reality, it is not, as you know, Debbie, um, you know, you are, when you're your own boss, you are generate, you're everything. So you are not only delivering the work, but you're also running the business and you're doing the marketing and you're doing the finances. And so um, my, my advice would just be to go in with your eyes open and know that it is more than, um, than just delivering work um, on a ske- on your own schedule uh, it is nice to have that flexibility when you can have it but it is not necessarily uh, what's going to happen. I think it is uh, it is incredibly rewarding you get to work with all kinds of different um, different organizations who are doing really innovative, exciting things uh, that's certainly one of the things that I love about it I meet so many people privacy field is wonderful. It's full of other supportive uh, privacy professionals. Everybody is sort of rooting for each other and trying to um, bring each other up because, you know, we are all more successful together. I I think, you know, there is a a lovely camaraderie within the privacy profession Um, and, and the work is just incredibly rewarding. So I would say go for it. Um, but go into it with your eyes wide open because it is definitely not um, something that is uh, easy, I would say.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you actually have a uh, a training program that you put together to kind of give advice to people who are you know, doing DPO services and things like that. Uh, and you said this is kind of based on your experience and kind of building your business and things like that. So give me a little bit of... Uh, idea about about this uh, training program.
1: Yeah, exactly. So when I, as I mentioned, when I started um, leading the privacy department, I really didn't know much about privacy. I didn't know how to run a privacy department. And I was looking for that how piece, you know, I can find the what and the legislation, what I couldn't find was really the how. So um, throughout the years, I've really noticed that a lot of our job as privacy professionals is very similar in in organizations, no matter what industry you're in, and no matter what laws you are subject to, the actual activities and responsibilities are pretty similar. And so um, I've put together the, the how piece of that. So the framework around running a privacy program from assessment prioritizing your risks implementing what you decide to prioritize and then monitoring and it really is a cycle Um, so that's the privacy officer blueprint is what i've called it and um um, it's launching shortly so i'm very excited (laughs) to finally be bringing that to uh to light and bringing it to the world because it really is something that is near and dear to my heart. Um, I'm also seeing a ton more, uh, people who want to get into privacy and a lot more people hiring in privacy. So this is a really great time, um, to be getting into the profession because, uh, there are certainly are people looking.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, you know, you're right. I think especially privacy, many other jobs that, Exist now or are are being created, so they didn't exist in the same way uh, many years ago. So I think people looking to get into privacy is kind of a, a lot of different paths. There isn't just kind of just one way to do it. But tell me about tell me about research. So um, I think if you're a privacy person, you have to constantly be reading, constantly be researching. How how do you find that part of privacy?
1: You know, I think there's always, um, there's a lot to read certainly. Um, but there are also people that I follow on LinkedIn, like yourself, um, and others who distill the vast amount of information around the world. And so I think it's finding those trusted sources, um, and focusing on those. And then, um, when I do have, of specific clients and specific cases, then I do a deeper dive into those issues. So, um, to kind of keeping a pulse and keeping a good understanding based on trusted sources, I think, is a really important piece um, for all privacy professionals.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I have a lot of people that I follow as well, and I we chat and we, you know, exchange articles and stuff. And then I, I also point out something you said, you know you know, I don't know, maybe it's not a complete kumbaya thing, but I feel like privacy people tend to be very open, you know, open with sharing, open with, you know, uh, helping one another, you know, giving people pointers and stuff, you know, to me, it hasn't I have not found it to be um, a situation where people have been kind of, you know, so tightly knit, you know, even though I think there are probably parts where some people want to be, you know, that's kind of their thing. So I feel like in order to be successful in privacy, you have to learn how to have conversations with people at all levels. You sort of break down silos. So I don't think that you can be be successful in privacy by creating more silos. What are your thoughts?
1: I totally agree with you. I think a lot of the time we come into projects um, in, and we connect people. So we connect IT with the project manager, with the business, with the legal. And if you are somebody who creates silos um, in your own work, in your own life, it makes it harder to bring people together in, um, in other aspects. And so I think, you know, when I started in the field, I went to an IAPP conference and um, and I just felt so welcomed. And that was a, a lovely introduction to, to the privacy profession. And of course, you're going to find people everywhere in every profession that are competitive. But I think we've all sort of recognized that, we do rely on each other to a certain extent to understand what's going around on in the world, to get different perspectives. There's so many different interpretations of things and, and we want to understand and debate. And I think we have, um, you know, a lot of, um, we we just need help. Like, they're just, they're, there's just so much work out there and, you know, so many projects. And so, I talk to a lot of people who um, who want to help others get into privacy as well, which is, which is a really nice um, uh, way to pay it forward.
0: And in terms of people getting into privacy, like what will be your advice kind of for their best first step to do that?
1: So I think that, um, you know, learning is always a good first step. So following people that you trust on social media, reading about it, doing your IAP certifications, I think is a helpful tool. Um, you know, not everybody uh, feels that way, but I, I think that there certainly shows that you are interested um and and committed to privacy doing my course, uh, of course, and um you know other um attending conferences. I think you know to the extent that you can demonstrate an interest in that you are learning Um, I think that's a a really good first step and speak to people, you know, talk to people who are in the field and um, and start to get involved in the community. And and I think that's the best way to have opportunities materialize.
0: I think so, too. I think people, you know, if you show a genuine interest and you show that you're really trying to help yourself. I think people will want to help you. Um, yeah. so I think, you know, I've seen a lot of people, you know, they say, Oh, you know, I want to get into privacy. You know, I'm like, well, so what what books are you reading? You know, what articles are you, like, who are you following? And some may, you know, they don't really can't really answer that question. So it's hard to have it's hard to have people want to help you if you don't really show that interest. <laughs>
1: That's right. Absolutely. And I think it's an attitude. I think if you're in a, in privacy, you always have to be learning. Um, and so if you can at least show that you are somebody who is a continuous learner, um, then that also will, will go a long way.
0: Yeah, I totally think so. I totally think so. Um, what is happening in tech in terms of technological advancements? that concern you about you know maybe in the future about privacy in any you know industry
1: so not not a, a concern necessarily but we are um, you know AI and machine learning um, are exploding in different ways and the the regulation of that is you um, developing, I would say. Um, my partner Carol is, has been following the, um, artificial intelligence developments for years. And, um, and, and I think that that's really the space where data governance, how to, how to govern AI. Um, I think that's a really big developing area that if, not handled well um, could result in some unintended consequences. And so it's adjacent to privacy, um, but certainly one that is uh, something that that we keep an eye on. And we're finding more and more clients are looking at um, how do we make sure that we even can evaluate the robustness of this technology and how do we make decisions around the data? Um, And I think that's true really for privacy as well. You know, the understanding that privacy does form a part of data governance more broadly. So we're seeing a lot more of that, I guess, within within tech. The other thing, I guess, is uh, distributed federated data, um, which is an idea that I really, really like, um, that data residing in place and being able to, um, rather than creating data lakes and, and large data repositories that are further at risk to be able to keep um, data federated is, uh, is another really interesting development that we're seeing around
0: tech. Yeah, both of those are really cool. I'm glad you brought those up. So I agree with you on AI. You know, I feel like the harm that can happen to people, you know, I feel like there may not be an adequate redress for harm that can happen to people. Right. So being able to get in front of that is very important, um, especially as we know, not all AI systems work the same for everybody. So pretending that it does, I think it's problematic in and of itself. And then also I like your idea when you're talking about federated data. So right, a lot of times when you have tools that are being int- introduced on the market, a lot of it is like, well, let's create a new bucket of data, you know. So every, every application has its own bucket of data, but depending on how organizations are using data, data, they don't really understand even their risk because they're replicating this data in so many different places. So even if they say, okay, we're done, you know, in, in marketing, we're finished because we, you know, we did all this mapping and we know all this data is, and then you find out that that data is duplicated somewhere else so that you have the same problem all over again. What, what are your thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's exactly it. I mean, internally, um in companies, you have that issue of increasing your risk because you are retaining more data than you need, or you have multiple copies of it. And then we're seeing a lot of collaboration between different organizations that want to do good with data. So, you know, um, uh, in healthcare, for instance, doing research or analytics on patient data, and rather than forming another repository um, of the data where it's a copy or you're constantly updating it um, and may not be accurate, you're creating um, governance um, that controls who has access to what, but the data can stay in place. And so I think that's one of the exciting technological innovations around um, data that can be much more privacy protective than uh, the creation of these large data repositories, which was always our only option in the past.
0: Yeah, then to some of it, I agree. I'm glad to see that uh, there are technologies being created in a way that they don't really want to add to the problem. Right, They don't want to add to the burden of adding more data if they don't need to but then some of it is kind of about behavior and how people behave and how they act. So some people like to keep duplicates, you know, they like to keep stuff. They don't like to share their data. So that's why, you know, and, and I think it's pretty interesting for privacy people because when we see someone and they're duplicating data, you know, you're asking them the why and sometimes they can't really answer that question. It's like, cause, cause I just want to have it myself. That's why.
1: Yeah. Or, or it's uh, just retained indefinitely because you never know if I'm going to need it in the future. And all of these things do increase risk to the organization. Um, And as we're seeing more and more, I mean, this is something I've definitely seen with clients who have undergone um, breaches and ransomware attacks where they just have data that goes so far back that has now been breached. And they're in a situation of having to notify, um, you know, a large number of people, which is quite costly um, and um, an inconvenient, I guess. So that's uh, definitely a huge risk for organizations.
0: Yeah, let's talk. Well, you touched on it a bit. But let's talk a little bit more about data retention. So, to me, I feel like this is the low-hanging fruit that organizations have. This thing that no one wants to actually work on or do. But it, you know, I like to tell people if you have data that's kind of has a lower business value, it has a higher privacy or you know cyber risk because you don't really need it, and maybe you're not protecting it in the same way that you're protecting data. And then, you know, so how how do you have conversations with organizations about kind of this data retention? Because nobody really wants to talk about that.
1: Nobody wants to talk about it. I think that the the first thing is to know what data you have. And um, even the creation of that data inventory is often something that organizations have not engaged in. So there are now more technological tools as well that can help to identify that data and even keep your inventory up to date. Um, And I think those are really useful tools as well and and lessen that uh, workload of of creating the data inventory because that itself can be a challenge. And then once you have your inventory, you can start to think about and look at what do I need to keep, um, where do I have duplicates? You know, as we've just mentioned, um, and and then start to call uh, what you don't need. And it is an education, I think, as well to for organizations to understand that if you can't see a use for it, then don't hold on to it. Um, you know, it, it, that the idea that I might need it in the future is in itself problematic because, you you know, that, that increases risk for your organization. So I think there's an educational piece. And then there are some very tangible things that can be done like that inventory and thinking through with the business. You know, it isn't a privacy decision how long things are kept. It's a business decision. So having those conversations. Yeah,
0: yeah right. I agree with that. So uh, that's actually another good point that you made about being a business decision. I think as a privacy person, you can bring up the points, right? You can give your advice, but at the end of the day, the company has to decide what they want to do, right?
1: Absolutely. It is, you know, we're often consulted at the beginning of projects before any decisions have been made. And and I always put it back and I say, don't drive, have privacy drive this project, have your business needs drive it and we'll create a privacy program that supports it. So um, it is often, I mean, it, it, these data decisions are, are ones about business needs and privacy is there to enable and support. And that truly is, I think, You know, we can raise risks, we can identify them and raise them. And then there are business decisions around what's going to be tolerated and how things are going to be done to achieve the goal. So if
0: it was the world, according to Samara, and we did everything that you said, what would be your wish for privacy anywhere in the world, whether technology, law, anything
1: Tough question. I think, you know, I, I don't know if I've thought about it, it to that extent. I mean, I see privacy as people having choices um, and being able to know what's happening with their data and choose and that what that means and what that looks like is not necessarily knowing every single use, but knowing how decisions are being made about my data. So, um, you know, I think in, in this world of artificial intelligence and data, um, big data, so to speak, it's, it's challenging to actually even ask for consent necessarily for every single use of that data. But to understand how data is being governed and how decisions are being made about data, I think is a really important thing for individuals to have control over and be able to say no. Um, you know, we have to be able to control what happens with our data. And ultimately, privacy isn't about, com- you know, keeping everything secret. It's about choice
0: wow that's a that's a great i love that that's a great (laughs) answer
1: well thank you so much for
0: being on the show this is great i'm always happy to chat with anyone in canada you guys have a great perspective and i like what you're doing and tell david i said hello
1: (laughs) oh thank you so much for having me this was so much fun and uh i will see you online on linkedin (laughs) perfect perfect talk to you soon thanks debbie you're welcome